Well, folks, welcome back to the Go Time Podcast. Um, this week, um, I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing um, Mr. Eddie Hinton. Um, I've actually met Eddie before and, um, really, and really liked him. And I have, um, man, been so lucky to go and get to meet and talk with him a lot more, <laughs> a lot more. Um, and, um, on a personal level, a much more personal level, um, we had a friend of ours, uh, an acquaintance, but uh, an acquaintance of both of ours, a friend of both of ours that, um, that introduced us the first time. And that was David Kaufman, a friend of ours and a mutual friend. And, um, and over the years, actually me and Mr. Hinton have had some of the same friends in a couple of different places. But um, had never got a chance to sit down and really have a um, a cool conversation. And this time, um, we got to really delve into each other and and really enjoyed the time together. Um, it went rather long, um, and uh, but I enjoyed every bit of it. Um, another really interesting, really interesting person who has. Um, really pushed himself. I mean, he pushed himself a lot and, and in a way, so a little bit of background on Mr. Hinton. Um, Mr. Hinton is, is, was the Super Bowl five champion in 1970 was in Super Bowl number five, being a wide receiver for another, none other than Johnny Unitas, one of the greatest uh, quarterbacks in NFL history. And, um, and my friend Eddie Hinton walks around wearing a Super Bowl ring and has got a ton of stories to tell you about, about perseverance, about working through adversity, about determination, um, the spirit of a champion the work ethic of a champion, the mindset of someone who learns how to become unstoppable and not unstoppable like he was uh, the, you know, best of all time. Not, actually, Mr. Hinton was so versatile that it's more than just being one of the great, a great, you know, football player. But he was a great entrepreneur, a great businessman, um, and and now uh, in his seventies, a, a guy who is giving back. He gives back to the community. He gives back to uh, to so many things. Um, to have books written about you and to be a superstar from the town you were from, to um, uh, to you know, then the part that we shared in it with each other is, is a love for horses. And, and he's done team penning and team roping and cutting horses. And, um, and he's got a love for the horse and, and it's fun. Um, but, uh, even in that he, he wants to be competitive. He doesn't want to be average and he's, um, and you can hear that competitive spirit and you can hear, um, how a guy like him can inspire others, um, inspire others and give you an understanding of what the mindset is of someone who has a work ethic and a desire to, to succeed, a, d a desire to excel at something and not just football. Um, and the way he roadmapped himself out on the whole thing was really incredible. Um, 
I really enjoyed this one. My wife gives me a hard time and says, you know, that's what you said last time. This is the best one ever. <laughs> um, but I always feel like they are. I mean, I, 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 um, I'll be honest with you, if something's boring me to death, but it's not. Um, it, it really has. And I really enjoyed my time with uh, Mr. Hinton. Um, he's a very well-read, uh, very intelligent, hardworking, um, very talented man. And, um, and has lived a, an entire life of experience that very few people get to experience the amount of that he, the amount that he has to the heights of playing in Super Bowl number five against Tom Landry and the Dallas Cowboys with Johnny Unitas as your, your, your quarterback. Holy smokes. Could you imagine that? To being, um, well, according to his book, locker room to the ball to the boardroom, to being a a, a very successful businessman, um, and to home builder and all kinds of stuff, and he's got so much wisdom to it. So anyhow, I uh, I'm excited for you guys to listen to um, listen to my talk with Eddie and um, getting to learn a whole lot about him. So this is part one of. Eddie Hinton, Super Bowl champion. Hope you guys enjoy it. And also, shout out to Purina Mills. Um, our horses, uh, my horses, I love and want to be some of the best that they can be. And I can't have them expect them to be some of the best that they can be without having a good and proper nutrition. And I leave that up to my partners in crime, Purina Mills, who do all the work to make sure that I have a balanced, good balanced nutrition for the athletes that I ride. And we're Tommy Equine Hospital. Uh, those guys really take care of my horses and keep them on the road so I can keep showing. And um, they're going to help me out. They're helping me out this year getting my pony for the futurities coming up, little Frazier. So anyways, here you go, folks. It is go time. Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. The meeting place of industry leaders, elite athletes, and game-changing individuals from around the world. Here we explore the grit, guts, and mental fortitude required to succeed in business, competition, and life that you've been looking for. So stop looking and start listening. It's Go Time with Brendan O'Reilly and Todd Martin. Yeah, because that's so, there's some really good stores here. I, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, I learned so much from it and got the opportunity to see these. I learned how to rope. Uh, I used to be a header, no, a healer, until I almost lost a thumb. And I was like, nope, I, <laughs> I hate pain, even though I played ball. I got to be a sport where I don't have to jump off this horse or something. And that's when Team Pennant came along. And I said, I can do that. I got to learn how to do it. Now, strange thing is, I'm thinking kind of like you would do. I said, now I need to meet some ex-athletes that can understand anticipation. There's three people on a team. You got to got 30 head of cattle with numbers in triplets, and you got to bring down a pit of pen. I got to be able to find people can anticipate. So I met this couple in Bernie. 
And I saw him a couple shows and I rode with him. And Charlie and his wife, uh, they couldn't bring a cow back out of an elf cow past the foul line. But we kept winning. And I'm like, because I was holding the line. I knew their weaknesses, so I made it my strength. See, I knew what their weakness were, so I held the line. I would say, Charlie, you go in first. I'll work with you. Linda be looking to spot that other cow and doing my transition. I'll spot that third one, and we, we can haul like that. Don't move until I clear him, and then you go in, and I'll bet you, and I'll pick out the third one. So they end up saying, well, let's go to the finals in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Finals? I'm thinking, we're not that good. I would say, y'all are not that good. I'm learning. But the competitive part of me, it's like, if I'm going to do this, I need to go to find out what are the strategies, the, be the best riders that's doing this stuff, what kind of horses they're riding. Okay, so I'm driving 16 hours. I go in my little two-horse trailer all the way to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Soon I get there, of course, there's some guys I had seen at the big shows, and they looked at me and they said, uh, Hinton, who did you come with? <laughs> I'm looking around. Well, with my two horses. I said, well, who are you riding with? Oh, I'm riding with the Heplers there in, in Bernie. They said, Heplers? Oh! <laughs> I said, well, uh, I know they ain't that good, but they ain't that bad either. In our first go-round, I was watching. They got teams, 1,600 teams, country, California, Canada, New York, Florida. People come from all over, right? And I'm watching all that. Okay. Just do what you do. Talk to them. Read your cows. We're good. We came out of there. We were rooting about three classes. Two first place, third, fourth place. And at the time, they was paying 80% back. Whoa. Yes. Uh, nobody else has done that. They paid 80%. They gave me a check over $27,000. dollars i thought, well, do I share this with them? They, no, they got their check. I would, didn't even think about winning anything. Holy smokes. And I'm like, Oh my, but then they bumped our rating. We were novice. We were, <laughs> they take all of our money. Yeah, they're going to go play somewhere we, else. We couldn't, and they, but it, it hit me. It hooked me. I went and bought a trailer. I got another horse. <laughs> I mean, went crazy. I ain't won nothing since like that. But anyway, <laughs> but still hooked on it. It's been wonderful. And I have to truly say, like you, the horse business has been a hobby for me. It's been my niche or what can how guys go play tennis and golf my networking mm -hmm. because throughout my journey horse people's always been there to be supportive of me it's the darnest thing in the world even when i'm broke down on a freeway I'll tell you a real quick story it's i'm crazy isn't it? i'm telling you i'm coming from dallas one night fort worth big show up there one weekend By 11 o'clock at night i'm coming what's that little town west right before you get to um uh, Waco. Mm -hmm. My rear end goes out. Whoa. I got my two horses and my dog in there with me. And I'm like, oh my God. Let me call AAA. I called AAA and said, we're almost the end. Uh, they pay you last month. It expired. You didn't pay. I said, oh, no. I said, oh. I said, I don't care what it costs, ma'am. I need somebody to get my horses off the road. Yeah. Within 15 minutes, a record guy heard that conversation. He pulls up, and I see another big truck pulls up on the side of the road, on feeder road, a guy and his wife and a little girl in the back. This is 15 minutes. I'm talking on the phone. 
And he said, we heard, I heard your message, sir. He said, I'm going to take your truck over to the West Garage. My friends here, they're here to take you to their place with your trailer. And in the morning, they're going to come and bring you over here. You're going to have breakfast. I'm, I'm sitting there like, is this God? And I'm, a, I'm listening to this, this, this record guy. Yeah. He said, he'll take you here. And then once y'all have breakfast, we're going to bring you to the garage and find out what your problem is and see if they can fix it. And they'll take you home. They're taking off Monday. Take me back towards San Antonio. I ain't lying. And they did exactly that. And I'm in the back, me and my dog. And they got my trailer hooked to that truck. And I'm like, excuse me, I need to ask y'all. Why y'all doing this thing? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, you're taking that day off. And he said his wife was breakaway right. Said it could easily happen to us. Now, sir, how much it going to cost me? I don't I, Whatever. It you just pay what you feel like, sir. But it could happen to us. I'm like, oh my God. 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. They got the little girl and the week her up to come and help me. I'm telling you, it was, and I've had that happen lots of few times. One guy was judgmental, but I wish to go to riding. I didn't like him, never said nothing to me. Didn't like him. Just because I guess the way his attitude. And my truck breaks down on Houston. I'm going to, what's a little town uh, north, north of Houston? Uh, Anyway, the first person to stop was him. Old John stops and he said, Ed, want me to take your horses on up there and maybe some... <laughs> okay, uh, John, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm repenting, y'all. What I'm saying, I'm trying not to be judgmental. This guy stopped to help me. And that's what he... I mean, I've had that happen many times with horse people. That's why I love doing it. Yeah, you know, I think that's one thing about... Um the industry that I've been super lucky to be yes. a career in, right? Is that, and I think most people don't understand it, especially like even the owners of the, some of the horses, right? They, they, you know, they're getting into it. We're having a really good time. We're going out to the shows. We're doing all this stuff. And, and they see, you know, who somebody, you yeah. know, another trainer that they've, you know, know of or whatever, mm -hmm. and, you know, or heard of or whatever. And they're like, you know, uh, they almost like it's, it's this rival. We want to beat him. And I'm like, man, like, <laughs> I don't even think about him when I'm in the show. Right, like, right. And, and we're, now I want to beat him. Sure. But right. I, at the same time, like it's like, he's not, a, he's not even an afterthought when I'm going to the show. See, they don't understand the mindset and the I'm processing trying, of things. I'm trying not to beat myself. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like my girlfriend, I drive with over in Austin. She said, Everybody don't understand how focused you are when you come and compete. Mm -hmm. I mean, say I laugh and talk with you, and but I'm constantly <laughs> watching the arena. I'm watching the cows. I'm watching the riders. I'm seeing how long they're getting along because I might have to ride with them. I'm processing all this like I would when I played ball. That's where I'm trained to do that. Yeah. Now all this other stuff, and 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 I, you know, I heard texts and talk about racial stuff. But see, I've been a competitor in athletics and athletics all my life. All I see is a different color jersey. If you're in my way and you're on this playing field, I got to feed you. I don't care who you are. I'm going to figure it away if I want it bad enough. You know, so I'm studying all this stuff constantly. That's just the way my mind goes. I can tell you, like we do the little round robin. Mm -hmm. I can tell you the top riders who I need to compete and when I need to really step up. I know how many cows they got. I almost know their time. <laughs> it's just like, she said, how do you keep all that in your been trained to do that, man. So I, that leads. Um, so since we 
jump past the introduction. I'll do an intro before, so we will explain a little bit, but, but I have, um, I've Eddie Hinton with me, Super Bowl, uh, champion in 19 what was it 1970 70 yeah super bowl um with uh with some of the greats and yes and i mean really greats like the greats of the legends johnny unitas yeah i'm telling legend like johnny unitas i used to see him on television in high school and someone had asked me in high school if you're able to get to the pros what team will we play for i said a team with the horseshoe on it the colts and I was their number one draft choice. And when they, I couldn't believe it because they had just lost the Super Bowl against the Jets. And they said, you're on number one. I'm like, excuse me. Look, I ain't got time to play on my phone. There was some news reporter calling me up. I said, sir, I'm waiting on an important phone call. But I just saw that team lose. So I know they don't want me. <laughs> he said, no, it's, I said, wait a minute. It's the one with the horseshoe on the helmet. Yes, it is. I said, are you sure? It's the one with the guy named Johnny Unitas on there. He said, yes. That's when I said, wow. So that had to, so that had to have been a, a kind of a monumental moment in your life. It was, but I saw it in the paper first. It was. Yeah, I was, I was on my way to Fort Polk, Louisiana. I was going to basic training because I was going to National Guard to get my my basic training four and a half months out of the way so I won't get drafted. Back in those days, they had to draft to go to Vietnam. I wasn't going to Vietnam. So this is my way, and I had figured it out three years before that happened. Oh, wow. See, I was, like I was sharing with you earlier, I always think a thought down the road. Yeah. And I'm in college at the University of Oklahoma, and it's mandatory for all athletes to belong to ROTC. Really? I did for the first year, and I got thinking, where is this going? If I'm in this for four years, I need to know where is They said, oh, you can become a commission officer once you finish school. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going in the <laughs> Army because <laughs> I had taken government and all this other stuff in college, and it made no sense. Vietnam War is not protecting this country. It's political war. So I figured out, okay. I'm going to graduate in four years. So my senior year, I'm going to drop out of school that second semester. I'm going to need seven hours to graduate. I'm thinking about this my sophomore year in college. Wow. When I drop out, I'm going to do basic training. I'm going to get in the National Guards. Back in those days, the only way that you can get in the National Guard is your family had to be pretty wealthy or you politically. I had none of that, but I had. University of Oklahoma athletic director and the dean of students, and I had the colonel of the Air Force, Army there. I'm sitting with these three figures. They trying to tell me that you don't understand. We got a system here. It's mandatory for all athletes. You're an athlete. I said, yes, sir. I understand that. Can y'all help me get in the National Guards because I'm going to drop out of school my second semester. I'm going to need seven hours to graduate. I'm going to go after the National Guards. I'm going to play pro ball for one year. That first year, the following year, second semester, I come back and take those seven hours get my degree. Can y'all help me? To the day the athletic director died, he kept asking me, how did you know what you're doing? And I did. Told, I told you. And I'm out of school to learn something. So if I don't know more about how to get to the next street, how are you going to be able to tell me what I'm thinking? 
Uh, they got me in that school. Wow, that's how that happened. That's really thinking, man. <laughs> you had you had to think, and I wanted to get them. Then the story go back further. When I got to college, I'm the only one in my family they ever go to college. Right, my mother only had my mother only had sixth grade education. My father had, had a GED. He was in the army, so I already knew about his life. We never yeah. traveled with him though. We was located in Lawton, Oklahoma, which one of the largest artillery bases at the time was Fort Seal. Mm-hmm. We knew all the activities because we used to go out there all the time. I said, I couldn't see myself living out here in these barracks. and you know, I was thinking about all that stuff. Yeah. And my parents were bootleggers. See, in Oklahoma. See, Oklahoma was a dry state until the 80s. Yeah. So my grandfather, my grandmother, my grand- So we ran the kind of communities. When I was 14 years old, I had my own car. So, so one of the things is on this is that we have some younger <laughs> listeners that won't understand what a dry county is or a dry community is. It was illegal to it's sell illegal liquor. To sell liquor in those areas. In the state of Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, and they had it even in counties here. And like when I remember growing up, mom, my grandma and grandpa would go stay with them. If grandpa wanted to have, you know, a six pack, we had to drive outside county line to go get, that's, you know, that's beer right. for the, and then drive back into town. You could have it, but you couldn't buy it. Unless there was a membership at the bar, you had that's correct. membership or something. Right. There was always kind of these crazy deals. So, so your 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 dad <clears throat> that was that was in the army, right, was also bootlegging. No, no, he didn't. Oh, he, he did. traveled. He oh, did okay. his stuff with the army. We stayed in Lawton. Right. My mother and my grandmother were your mother and your and grandfather? my grandfather was before he passed away. <laughs> I mean, my mother, my grandmother. We had a little house, kind of like this one place here. It was uh, in the back of our house where she made all her home brew. They had big crock pots with sugar and yeast. And, yeah. and my brother and I, they had little alleyways in the neighborhood. We would go down the alleyways and find bottles that didn't have a broken top to it, a lip on it. Yeah. And bring them back and scald in hot water, wash them out. That's what we put the home brew in and kept it. Wow. And we, I mean, you got to understand about the law when yeah. we had raids. My mother and my grandmother would stick the booze and stuff in our beds, me and my brother. And if the police would come, we'd be laying on them cold bottles. They'd be shining and thought the little kids were there sleeping. So when I got to college, I figured I'm going to take a step further. I'm going to get in business. I'm going to learn all about business as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to take a little bit further than my, my mother and my grandmother did, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> I enrolled in these finance classes and all this stuff. And then next thing I know, I'm called in again, athletic director and dean of students, son. You can't take those courses. You're on a football scholarship. I'm like, I'm not going to always play football, sir. Yeah. Yeah, but here you are. So those classes would interfere with your practice in the afternoon, so you got to take morning classes, liberal arts, or education. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Here you are. You want to keep your scholarship. Then I kind of thought, okay. I go to night school once I finish up. Hmm. So when I got out of pro ball, went to pro ball, I started going to night school, learn about business and bookkeeping and accounting and all that stuff and how to start a business. Because I always knew I was going to be a business itself. Wow. That's <laughs> That's incredible. So when you joined the National Guard, when you went through basic training in the National Guard, the National Guard, obviously, being that it's the National Guard, right, wasn't going to be deployed. No, not so, at all back then. So you because he's drafting people then, right? So then you would serve. Yeah, serve six guarding years, guarding the nation on the weekends. Yeah, wow. 
for six months a year on a weekend. And so, did two. you do that while you were in the NFL or after? Yeah, yeah. yeah. On weekends, we didn't have it. Um, uh, a game. Uh, I would go to the meeting. That's all. It was a weekend meeting, and then the summertime they had the like a two week training camp. You go to yeah. those. So that's what I did for six years. Wow, that's cool. And that's then, a great idea. And then, then you got a program. When you got in the pros, you had to think. Okay, you got guys from all over the country, and you're sitting in this room. You're seeing these greats. You're seeing these legends. You're sitting in there, and you're saying, I'm from Oklahoma. Also, the culture shock was I've never been in the East. You got the most cities there. Baltimore, uh, Washington, D.C. You got Pittsburgh, New York. And you're like, people live in these apartments around here. It's so crowded. Yeah, and they going from Lawton. Yes, they call it row house. That was a culture shock, and yeah. I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I saw more of my people than I ever in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. It's so not so lonely. <laughs> no. So I'm sitting in the room. I'm thinking, okay, what are you gonna do while you're up here? These guys got reputation. The legends, all this. Yeah. And the only answer I come up with is I got to do four things while I'm in the pros. First of all, I hope. That I can be the best receiver I can. One year is all I need. Second was, I hope I can be and win the Super Bowl. We did that the second year in the league wow. when I was there. And I was sort of, I led receiving the, that second year. Third is, I found out that if you last five years, because on a retirement in that business, that a player can play is almost three and a half years on average. If you last five years, you get retirement the rest of your life. Really? Exactly. The fourth, which was most important than all of them, I don't want to leave this game injured. Yeah. I want to be able to walk out. Next thing I know is six years in the game. I'm up in New England. We play in the Jets. And I look around and I question, when am I going to grow up? Hmm. When you start thinking that way, it's time to leave the game because your mind is not in it. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to catch a ball, whether you catch it or you drop it? What does it mean? Something bigger than just the game. More than life. And when you start questioning those things, time to leave. And after the season, I told the coach, I said, not coming back. I can walk out of here. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, that's kind of, um, that's wild. That's so not to equate you know, what I've done in, in, in my career to being, you know, like playing in the NFL and, and, you know, a Super Bowl and whatever else. But, you know, I hit a spot in, in my career where, or, you know, showing and stuff about, I guess it was probably like six, six, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. Where, um, I hit a spot where it was like, man, like, um, you get through the futurity and then, Next year, it's another fraternity. That's right. And it's, and it's another horse. And it's, That's a, right. and it's just doing it again. And I'm chasing I'm chasing the same thing again. It kind of feels like a rat wheel. Right. And, you know, there's, and at right about that time is whenever I got my, my three more kids. Yes. Right? And then that was a big, you know, like, holy. Transition. Well, it was a big, holy crap. What what did I just do? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then trying to find, you know, like a little bit more importance on you know like what what was the meaning for getting through all this like what was the what was the purpose in doing you know getting to this level or getting to this point right Mm -hmm. um and it was that was kind of wild i think that was a point where i come to a realization that um and i i 
I, especially at that point and, and even, you know, now too, but um, I wanted to know, you know, I started wanting to know more about a meaning of life. What is, what is, what is the, what is, yes. the, what is the big man upstairs yes. in store for things? <laughs> that's right? correct. And, and I think that's when I came to a realization that all of the things that I had learned about horses and training with horses and doing with horses, right? At that time, I had thought it was because that was, I, I was going to make me a great horseman, right? right? That's what his plan was, was to make me a great horseman. And, um, and I think I realized at that point that it wasn't that. All the things he taught me, all the things that I learned about horses was to be applied to my children. That's right. Right? I was like, so at that you point, that I'm like, off. oh my gosh, like. So, and everything, it does apply, right? That's right. Everything about how, you know, understanding that they think different than I do. That's true. That they don't, you know, have a fully developed brain. That's right. That I have to be actually the one who's training. I got to have persistence. I got to be not only persistent, but patient. That's like, right. Oh, my God. Because like on a horse, there's no clock. You know, when, no, how this, how right? fast does someone mature? Yeah. You can do the same thing to one horse, but... You gonna take a little bit longer than another. Oh, no, for sure. See, he starts on Thanksgiving Day. We gotta be that's... ready by then. You're like, <laughs> that wasn't his plan. That's no. exactly right. And and that was um that was an eye opener for me, right? To realize that 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 the end game wasn't that, you know. And I think that's one of the fun things about this year. Yes. Having so it's been quite a few years since I've had a futurity horse. I got one this year, and I got mm-hmm. I got a nice one. Yeah. I you know is he. You know, gonna win the the big one. I know. You know what? I don't really care. It's a different. I just have a different the mindset. I, I, you know, sure. Back in my mind, who doesn't want to win? You know, but you know what? Oh, it's so amazing that you're saying this. We're having this conversation. I've hit those blocks before. I was probably raised Baptist. Mm-hmm. I used to love as a kid going to church, listen to the stories of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And realized that the ministers weren't telling me the whole truth because they had their theatrical way of expressing and everything was kind of negative to a point to f- put fear within you. Mm-hmm. I said, well, long as we not going to overcome that, let me read through myself. Several years I read through the Bible every day for seven years through it every year. And I come to realize that our lives is a journey and in the Bible is an interpretation. I'll give you some guidelines, but you have choices. Humans have choices in what they make. And once you learn that skill or that network, you move and you apply it to the next. My foundation is sports. So that's going to always be, you can't take none away from unless I give it to you. You can tell me you, you can't do this and you can't have this, but my mindset's in, there's always a way. Maybe I can't do it your way. You see what I'm saying? So I realized, and take for instance, my, my greatest story was in the Bible was David and Goliath. It's overcoming obstacles. Mm-hmm. Overcoming. It's a great story. Yeah, it is. And when, when I read through it, I got so excited because I read I heard the whole story about David. And one of them was caught my attention was King Saul said, if you end up killing Goliath, you get a horse. And your parents, your family don't have to pay taxes. That kind of call really? Yes, your family don't have to pay taxes. See, I'm saying, <laughs> but it's mine. Said you already there, and but that was always been my interest. 
that never left me from riding, go corral, save my watch and television. All that has always been back in my mind. You see, it was always a process. And so all these journeys, I always kept that. That's my base. One day I'm going to get there, but I ain't going to lose sight of it. All right. So, but then the next day, next year I read it, King Saul was jealous of David. But David loved King Saul. He fought for him. Mm -hmm. But I, the same Bible, I'm reading the same, through the same book. Oh, this is interesting. So sometimes people can get jealous of and processing in real life, in reality, no matter how well you do. Mm -hmm. Wow. Next thing I know, King Saul ended up fornicating. Preachers don't talk about that with Bathsheba. Well, why didn't I see that before? I read through the Bible again. King David. King David. I mean, yeah. And I'm like, wow. Then he ended up having a kid named Solomon. No, no, uh, Absalom. Mm -hmm. But Bathsheba, that was jealous of his dad and tried to kill him. Crazy. I'm like, oh man, where did this come from? The, the, the early stories were much better. Than exactly. <laughs> That's all that people would tell you. Yeah. So really, when I learned and and I read all about it, all the rest of it, uh, the stories in it, it is what's the word I'm trying to use is an interpretation of where you are in your life, mm -hmm. and but you always got a right and wrong for you. Your right and wrong may not be the same right and wrong for me. To just a minute. So we have to come to mindset. If all the disciples throughout the journey of the Bible, you know, they had to pull away from the flock to become empowered with themselves to listen to God, to listen to direction, just like you had to do that. You had to pull back like, okay, I'm lost right now. What do I do? Is this just, I'm doing the same thing over and over for 30. No, you got another gift. Now you can pass it on to the multitude that you can grow. Yeah. You know, David always, the story of David always got me too, because it was always the, the, you know, the reference to, um, that he had a, he had a heart for God. Yes, right? he and did. So I like, that was something that was like, man, I, you know, I wanted to, and I, you know, growing up, you, you hear about, you know, David and, and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath right. and all the great things that he did, but they don't, you know, they don't put you in Sunday school and teach you about Bathsheba. And no, 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 no. Until you start to realize. And, and, you know, I remember sitting around going, man, I, you know, I want to be like David. And now I'm like, man, I don't want to be like David right, right. at all, man. You know, I don't want to have my children chasing me down and trying to kill me. Right. And, um, but there was a first part. It's funny, like the first thing that you thought and, and on your way of looking through it, one of the things that I thought I, I read once on a, a commentary about David <clears throat> was that, when he, um, when he went to take on Goliath, yes. right? That, uh, and I think this was so profound for me was that, you know, so here's the smallest guy getting ready to take on the biggest. Even his brothers put him down. Yeah, you, you heard, you, you watch sheep. What do you know about fighting? Yeah. And they were in the army. And when he went to the river to grab rocks, right? right he grabbed three. That's right. And you're like, well, so in the commentary was, you know, really pretty cool about the fact that why he grabbed three, if he had so much faith in what he was doing, why did he grab three? Right. Because he wasn't looking at Goliath. No, he was looking past Goliath. Exactly. He, he didn't know. two brothers. That's right. And he was going to take him out and then go right for the next two brothers. But the crazy part to me on that was that 
And the great observation on it was that if you look at the highs and lows of David's life, when he had his eyes on God, when he had his eyes on the prize, right? Or the, the you know, the right, right thing, he accomplished so much. That's right. When he had his eyes on earthly things right. is whenever he fell every single time. You listen, you read the Psalms where he's talking about, his Psalms are like talking about, whoa, is that guy they're chasing me? You know, every time he's talking about somebody else yes. and that guy, whenever he's he's having those he lost sight. times. Yeah, lost sight. And I was that was kind of a big thing for me, you know, getting to where I started to get sight on what was not in the presence, but, you know, what's the long shot down the road? Right. And then, and and kind of a big eye opener for me to realize, you know, how that could impact. And that's where I come up with the, you know, with the understanding of, man, it was just, it was preparation. You know, it was, it was, that, Always is. yeah. I mean, all that preparation of, of, you know, become, and now like uh, this year, I'm got a, I have a future of yours to go with, mm. and I'm really looking forward to going and showing him. Yes. Um, you know, I want to do my best. I want of course. the same stuff that I've always wanted right. to do. Right. But I think the, coolest part about the journey for me on this one is that all those things that I accomplished before my kids were so small they never saw yeah right you get and they share. never saw more than anything they never saw the journey they didn't see That's exactly they right. see their dad walking around riding in the backyard telling people yeah. how to ride right? right and and you know and I don't know my dad that's what he does he just goes in the backyard horses, <laughs> right and this and we've got you know a, a nice place that right that's how we got there right but they didn't see all that hard struggle and, and sometimes I think for young men to not see their dad's struggle or not see those kind right. of things um it's you know you don't you don't think that you should have to go through those struggles right. or that that's not and that's where you grow Right. I think it's one of the biggest things about the podcast is having it to where that I want my kids to understand that not giving up is the most important thing That's you right. know, that you can you can push through these things and not just for the outcome. But the journey is such a cool deal. If you can stay in the presence of the journey of where you're going, you know, it's amazing. You talk about. And I'll share with you earlier. For 18 years, as I was saying. I chose a sport that every day I had 11 people opposing me every day to try to keep me from getting what I want and practice game situation. It was a challenge for me. Yeah. That's going to be a uh, part of my life to the day I die. But at the process you learn from that is you have the willpower to overcome any obstacles that you mind set. The mind is so strong. It's amazing what it accumulates. And you can keep adding to it and adding to it. It's like building a house. You get a, If you got a solid foundation, you can build as much as you can around it. Rooms on it. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's the process. The journey doesn't stop until the day you die. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. That mindset uh, works the other way too, though, right? When, if you, when you have the mindset that you don't think you can, you can. then you won't either. You won't. You right? won't. And that I think that something great for I think that is what has held back many a young man no matter what color it is not because that um that someone else wouldn't let them but they never had someone tell them they could that that wasn't that wasn't ever a part of well I, I, I realized that it could I can agree with that to someone but I think some of it is like these animals, yeah. Some of the great athletes, 
Some are. Yeah. And and as you and I have heard many times growing up, only the strong survive. I hate to say that, but that's just the way the law of average is. The strong I had two brothers, younger brothers, and I'm thinking that I'm a role model in his classroom and on the field. Mm-hmm. When they're away from me, they were killed for me. But when they're around me, they they're trying to take my life. No joke. <laughs> yeah. They take my life. And I'm like, what is this? That makes no sense. And they were brought up with the attitude. We ate in the same house, slept in the same bed sometimes. And I'm thinking, but the environment, they thought that society owed them something. Where did that come from? I never thought that. Hmm. It's like you have to have something to give, to offer, to get. Yeah. If you don't think you have anything to offer, you're not getting. That's just as simple as that. If I don't go out there and perform every day, I don't get to play. I sit on the bench. I may not even get to suit up in a uniform. I want to play. So whatever I got to do to play. Yeah. No, no matter how good you are. No matter how good you are. Whatever I have to do, tell me what I have to do. Right. Barry Switzer, I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah. He's a coach at the University of Oklahoma, and he also is a coach for Dallas Cowboys, won the Super Bowl. He won national championship in college. He's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Barry came from a dad who was a bootlegger in Arkansas. Okay. <laughs> and my daughter was asked. Man, that's pretty backward. Well, Arkansas, he's in Arkansas, right? <laughs> and my sophomore year, he became coach, came to University of Oklahoma as an offensive coordinator. And of course, they read all about who you are, who the athletes who I'm going to coach. And he realized, oh, best player on the team. His parents are bootleggers too. So I can really relate to him, right? Yeah. This is what he'd tell you. He said, but it was something about Eddie that was a little bit different than everybody else. He gave us no excuse to coach him. He was the first one on the field. Mm. Every day he was the last one on the field. He didn't hang with other guys. He was kind of his own man. And I've never experienced anything like that. Seeing a guy who was so, I guess knew what he wanted to do in life. Yeah. And I knew I was there. Tell me how I can get to the next level. That's all I need from you. Right. And he would ask about my family. I'd say, hey, what's wrong with you? You know, but I didn't know about his life. Of course I'm yeah. a kid. And I kept I kept pushing him out. Hey man, him and his wife would come to me. We get on a plane. They want to sit talk to me, ask me about why do you keep asking about my family? Is something wrong with you people? Because I wouldn't talk about it. Until Years later, after I graduated and finished and played ball and stuff, he came out with a book saying Bootlegger's Alley. And I read it. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. This guy has the same understanding as I do about life. And I went and spent a week with him. And we got talking and, and traveling with him. And, and every time I go up to home, I used to stay with him. Um, but it's amazing is the communication that you can have with people if you have like minds. Yeah. And he said, I made a lot of mistakes. I, a lot of the time I didn't know how your thinking process was. Uh, so one day, all of my players, peers used to complain because I made it run when I ran or they, we had practices. Mm-hmm. I made it look effortless. Mm-hmm. I never bent over. I, took, I had a breathing method. That if you stand up straight, take deep breath, let it out your nose you recuperate a lot faster. This four that came up with breathing method, I just knew about that. But I had great training when I was in high school. I used to run track. 
So I knew how to run. And so I would do that, and I'm standing up looking at guys bending over, and, like, and they would complain, Coach, look at Hinton. He ain't even tired. And then, of course, they gave me incentive. Okay. Well, Barry called me after practice. We didn't practice two, two and a half hours one day. And he said, son, he said, um, um, he'll tell you the story. He said, you're a gifted athlete. And I'm like, well, I don't know what he's mean, but I'm giving him respect. I'm looking at him. Yeah. I said, so what does that mean? Well, things come easy for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, he's from Arkansas. Give him benefit. <laughs> he's as bright as he thinks. So I'm still looking at him. I'm not saying a word. <laughs> so I like for you to run around this track two more times so you can understand what second effort means. <laughs> oh, I was calling everything under, yeah. under, under my breath than the child of God. I said, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, coach. I don't know what it's going to prove. Maybe prove something to you. I'm going six times for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And to keep me from thinking of my pain every time I run or run around a track and I looked at him in his eyes, I was calling him every name except child of God until I finished. And I walked over to him. I said, so what did that prove to you? He said, I, I don't know. I, I never met an league like you. Thank you. And of course, I went back to the dorm and I passed out for like 16 hours. Of course, he found out. We talk about that. But it's it's going the extra edge. And now information is so openly. Google, in the, you can find out anything that you mm -hmm. want yeah. if you want something out of your life. But you got to feel like you have something to offer. If you don't have nothing to offer life, what do you expect from it? You shouldn't expect nothing. Yeah. How can you blame anybody for it? I think that's where you, you know, when we are young, we're trying so hard to push towards, you know, proving ourselves or getting to right. a certain deal. And and then you start to find a little bit more of an understanding of what really, you know, life is about. And it's really becoming the bigger servant. Well, Kyle, look what you did. You said you was 21. You had to figure out finally, yeah. you like horses until you find it. So you went and found a mentor. Yeah. See, you went and found, and you have stuck with it. Yeah, you're going your ups and downs and your journey of that, but that's where you found your place. Yeah. That's what we do. That's uh, like an artist, a guitarist, a singer. You may play like another great guitarist, but everybody's sitting back saying, so where's your voice? Yeah. They wait on you to discover what's inside you. As we read the Bible stuff, you know, God gave us all talents. Mm -hmm. Are you going to use yours? Or are you going to let it waste away? Because he will take it from you if you don't mm -hmm. use it. Yeah. So that's the discover of life. And then the journey of it is like where you are now, you learn so much about where you are. Now you're sharing with others, like you're talking about your kids and you didn't realize that yeah. might be your purpose. What I do now is I drive a transit bus in New Brownsville for people that go to dialysis. They on their last leg. They got to go three times a day week survive they land there four and five hours pulling blood out of them transfer them so they can live another day they don't have the freedom that i do this day and a lot of them are younger than i am that crazy and i'm having conversation with them mm -hmm. so when did you know did you have diabetes is that inherited was that inherited in you or did you take care of yourself at time did you realize the mind and the body is supposed to be nurtured every day this little thing you got I don't know. But no one ever talked to them. And they just look at me like one lady, she was so cute to get on the bus. 
I picked up in Canyon Lake one time, about 84 years old. And she gets on, walks real slow, and she sits down. She said, um, you may not be able to understand me because I had um, a stroke four years ago, so I talk very slowly. So no, ma'am, I'm looking at a mirror. Don't worry about it. You're the kind of woman that every man would like to have because you're thinking before you talk. And she just, her little eyes, I can see in the mirror, just brighten up. He said, then she said, are you out for hire? No, ma'am, can't do that. I said, against company policy. I'll buy you dinner. I'll buy you dinner. Yes, I understand that, ma'am, but against company policy. I can't do that. Got to take you to a destination. So you see those things. So you make a little humor, even though it's a tragic situation, that they still have purpose. Yeah. We own this. So, so what is your journey? I mean, I've seen guys get on here in in those electric wheelchairs, can't even walk. I said, so why do you think God letting you live? Have you figured that out yet? What? I mean, you see the eyes like, well, you still may have a purpose. And it's such a profound question, too. And it's yes. really crazy that that's not even contemplated at times. That you're just so caught in your own little world of, you know, your own despair, or your own problem. That's... You know, it's kind of... So also something else that I know that you've done before you were doing this was you were driving for quite a while. You were driving... School bus. School bus. Yes. Like, so that, like... So what made you... So after your football career, right? After, right. After I've had a couple of careers. I mean, you had this, this you know, grand career right. in, in the NFL and right. have reached the heights of, you know, all these things and, you know, catching passes from Johnny Unitas. I mean, right. Like, come on, right? To that and then your own home building business. You're yes. Building homes. And you're right. doing that. Right. And right. you're successful in that. Now, before that, I had an airplane cleaning company. Really? That I took, I took public, penny stock market, and I also franchised and sold it. This is the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so, then that's how I got in the home building business. I was remodeling. Then I got to thinking, when I, why do I have to guess what's behind the wall? Why don't I learn how to build it? And then I know. I mean, see me, I had to simple, everything had to be simple to me. I had to, how did it works in your brain? Right. You know, some people go and become architects and go to school. No, that won't work for me. And then you decided to torture yourself by driving kids. No, 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 it wasn't torching. It wasn't torching. What had happened was in 08, of course, real estate market back in those days, every eight to 10 years goes up and down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, it hit in 08. And I had been prepared for it because I could see it coming two years before. Mm. So I said, okay, I got enough to retire. I'm figuring out I can live on that. Two years didn't do hardly anything. Well, being a driven person, just like you hit a stumbling block, like I've been doing the same thing over and over, what I need to do. And I'm sitting around waiting on Judge Judy come on at four o'clock. That don't even make sense to me. I'm not sitting there waiting on death. No, that don't make sense. I still got some get them go. And at that time, I'm driving on 46 going to HEB. And I look at Bill Brown Elementary School and I see a bus there saying, we're looking for a bus driver. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let me call him up. What's your hours? It's from 630. I'm, I'm on these 4 o'clock, 430. I just still do that anyway. Yeah. Uh, 630 to 830, pick up the kids, drop them off, go home, take a nap, be back here too. Oh, I can do that. That's all it was. But then I realized I had something to offer. Because if you really look around, and we talk about father figures and role models. Oh, man, yeah. There are so many divorces now in this country. It's amazing. And a lot of them are raised by a single parent. Yeah. 
And a lot of your children, about 60% of them, coming, they don't have no strong male figure in their life. So first thing I would tell them when they get on my bus, I thought maybe from the little one, five years old on up to the high school kids. First of all, you need to understand one thing about being on my bus. You have a choice. And they look at me like, what? Yeah, you got a choice. The choice is the six rules that I have up on this wall up here that I'm let y'all read it because I figured y'all can comprehend and the little ones, I'll read it out to them. But the choice that you make is if you don't abide by them, just find another way of transportation. What? Yeah, that's it. And then I remember I went and I said, give me the worst route that y'all have. Give me the worst. I just like to go. They sent me to pick up the kids at, uh, what they call it, that's been CPS take them uh, CP, take them away from their families. Uh, it's a place down here off God. I can't even think the roads. Anyway, they had a little girl in third grade that ran three bus drivers off in a month time. I couldn't relate. Third grader. Wow. Yeah. And so if you have trouble with her, let us know. I go and pick her up. She gets on the bus, cute as a button, goes straight to the back of the bus. Now I'm looking at her. And I got about a 20, 25 minute drive from where I picked her up to Bill Brown. And the little boy up front, she screams and hollers the whole time I'm driving. That's the first day. Yeah. Interesting. So the next day she gets on the bus. She goes straight to the back again. So I get up uh, and thinking that my stature would intimidate ask to come to the front. She comes and looks up at me. And I don't know if you know the idea of what Satan looks like, but I could see it in Satan's eyes. She had no fear. And she says, what? I said, oh, my word. This is, this is a little Satan here. But I couldn't let that because of the competitive. Little third grade girl. I said, what I'd like for you to do is sit up in the front every day you get on this bus. Why? Because you're the prettiest thing that I ever seen. And I want to look at you every day when I look around. And she sit there. She's trying to process it. Yeah. He called me pretty. Nobody ever said. Well, she wasn't about to give up. Well, how long? I have no clue. I have no clue. Do you know, on this quarter like they end up saying, these little bullies, that's kind of what she was. If I control her, I got the whole bus. Mm-hmm. And she said that she became my best rider because she controlled everybody else. Then I picked up a high school student over the same place. She wanted to be a little girl, wanted to be a little boy named Sam, had a haircut, had a pants bag. And every word that she said as she got on the bus was profanity. And I'm listening to her first day. Next day, I grabbed the microphone. Sam, would you please come to the front, please? She walked over. Yeah, what? Sam, you know I'm new driving this bus stuff. You know, I don't understand all the ins and outs of it. And I realize that you have a command of the English language better than anybody else on this bus. I did. <laughs> so would you take the microphone and read rule number two to everybody on this bus so they know what the rule is? And it says, no profanity of foul language on the bus. That's what it said. And she said, oh, I can't read it. Sam, 
you're helping me. Would you please help me? You know I'm new. I need your help. So she grabbed a microphone. Uh, number five language on the bus. Sam, you know you talk loud in that. They can't hear you. You need to talk up, babe, so they know. She did, and after two days after riding the bus, she wouldn't ride anymore because she couldn't control it. Hmm. So what I, I have a knack of doing is making people responsible for themselves. Nobody else, just you. And if you kind of out of hand, I'll just walk to you and say, maybe this bus is not for you. Because I'm standing there and they're looking at me like, what? So maybe you need to get off and find another one. That's it. That's all, that's all it is. Yeah. People don't like to be responsible for their own action. Mm-hmm. It's nobody else making you do anything. Nobody can tell you, make you take unless they tie you up or a gun point you or something, make you do anything. You have a choice. God made sure we had a choice every day. You got to make a decision. Do I wake up this morning and feed my animal and feel good about myself or take care of my family or not? Am I going to be responsible for them? That's mm-hmm. it. And it's, that's a, um, am I going to challenge myself today to be the best man that I possibly can, the best father that I can be today? Am I going to change? I mean, like that's, um, I, I think it would have been a, a much more difficult decision to make on that. Had I not had, uh, I can't imagine not having that as a father or role model myself. To, mm-hmm. you know, to make some of those and the guys and, and kids now that don't have that or don't see that. And it's even more important that we, you know, that we, you know, kind of do that for, for other kids. But I didn't, I, but I think a lot of us, you use your imagination. You got to, we have more than any creature that's created. God gave us imagination. Mm-hmm. I use other people's families, fathers. See, my dad wasn't around. I remember seeing him maybe two times, three times growing up as a kid. Cause he was always off. Wow. My mother was a man and a woman of the house. She took it, worked in two jobs, sometimes three. Oh, Amazing, crazy. strong, strong woman. And so I use, uh, there's two guys that had a mother, uh, mother and father. And the dad would always come out when we were kids in grade school playing baseball. They would always come out and support their son. So I played hard so they would admire me. Mm-hmm. I played hard so coaches would give me guidance to be the best I could be. I just said, use my imagination. Anyone I dated had to have a mother and father. I mean, that's so strange. I didn't have that. I wanted the ideal of being <clears throat> in a family atmosphere. Yeah. And my friends, they, they're married. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just the way it is. So yeah. you can, I, I, I can't believe, I don't have excuses. I don't want allow to give no excuse because I can't. What did you do to make a difference in your life? If you don't get out and train these horses mm-hmm. the way you do, you wouldn't be the Todd Morton and people wouldn't come for your service. People come to you because you're good at what you do. You, If you're a singer, they buy from you if you sing good or an instrument player, an athlete. You don't... They can't complain. I mean, and we got these symbols and we got illustration around us every day. And I'm like, how do people don't see it? Blind it because they don't want it. Mm-hmm. That's all. Well, yeah. you don't want it bad enough. That's it. You just don't want it bad enough. What are you willing to sacrifice? 
It's not easy being here. It is a sacrifice. Hmm? And it is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. People think because you play on Sunday. No. The training during the week, they don't see. There's blood sweat that you had to put in, pushing your body at some unbearable limit like you were sharing with me about the horses sometimes that you feel like you can't lift your leg another uh, step or your mouth is so dry, you just went, even somebody spit saliva in it so it could be wet. Mm -hmm. And then you got to be ready for the game on Saturday. That's the icing on the cake. So, I mean, I think that's something that um, that is, is, I don't know if it's necessarily that has to be taught, you know, or said to be taught, but just things that you learn through the process of, of sports, no matter what the sports is, you know, it, but that, you know, learning to kind of push yourself through right. adversity, right? That mm-hmm. um, the example that we talked about earlier of, uh, uh, that I give often is, Whenever I'm, if I'm, how am I going to find out that that horse has potential or how, what, what, how far his talent is? That's right. If I'm going to train a horse to be, you know, to reach his potential, right? And this right. is just the individual with the potential. That's correct. Right? Then, and, and I, you, the example I used was, was miles per hour. If mm-hmm. it's, you know, if I need him to be, you know, I, I've got him going 30 miles an hour. Right. Well, is that his top end? Well, if I never asked for anything more, that's right. How would I know? Right. That's and right. just because I asked for 40 miles an hour and the windows start to shatter or to, right. to shake, you know, doesn't mean that that's it. But what I do find out is then when I back down to 35, it all level back out and he's got 35. But then I've got to push to 45 in order to find out if he can level out at 40. And you keep pushing that envelope incrementally it's 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 trained it's taught it's learned but a lot of that is finding what your limit is that's exactly and we're not by nature we're not the kind that's going to challenge ourselves i mean there's a few that you know are going to push but you got even on that guy has got to find motivation somewhere well they at every level you do right i mean look at every few years in athletics, what I can talk about most of all, there's someone rise above the greats. Mm-hmm. Look at Michael Jordan. Yeah, all the great, great athletes. Too, right? And and his motivation was he tried to find some negative things about each player. Isn't so that crazy? That, <laughs> you watch that. Yes, that yeah, yes. Too, they did. Like, I mean, he got angry and yeah. just said something to him. He just used And some of those guys were like, I didn't even think I said that. Yeah, he yes. made that crap up in his mind. So exactly. It, right? But that's what kept him on level. When I had my senior, my great year, my second year in, in with, with the Colts, is because I had a great defensive back that I had to practice against every day. Every day. And in practice, Sometimes he hit me. I mean, I, he would get the best of me. And I'll yeah. go back to my house and tell my wife at the time, I can't let him get the best of me. I mean, he kept pushing me. I mean, I'm there in tears, man. Yeah. And next day I go to practice, and but I had to go at him. I couldn't let him get the But he kept me pushing me. And then, of course, he died the following year. And I'm like, God, I miss Speedy. I need him. I, I, I needed that. Yeah. I needed that. And then you look at a guy like the time, top of his game. The Tiger Woods raised up and he could change golf and got people interested all over the world. And people weren't even interested in golf. It was so boring about right. that. I mean, look how he he just kind of rose up like that. I mean, just 
or you can take the present. Look at Tom Brady. I mean, at his age, mm-hmm. and he still got a gusto that I can go one more time. I can forget about age and time, and and it's, and it's a brutal sport. Yeah, but he makes you think that's not my problem. <laughs> that's it. That's not my. So he, those are. Those are things that you look at all the time. See, I go to the mind a lot is what made people so great? See, I'll look to, if I'm interested in like you, yeah. I was asking you from question, how did you get into this horse business and what all the things you went through and, and talked about your children. See, I'm processing yeah. what makes Todd Martin who he is. And I'm thinking, wow, that T-shirt you have on, hmm. How did they come up with that t-shirt? They made a lot of money. Why can't I be creative like that? A buttons on a shirt mm-hmm. or a watch that you're wearing. You know, I mean, I'm think I think like that out of the box a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I can't allow, and I know my thinking process, I can't let it go too many people because they blow them away. People are not ready for it. I'm just trained to be that way. I guess I used, so when I was in training, I was when I well in, in training, I'm still. I right. train horses for a living, right? Right. But um, one of the things that when I was going to learn and I was in the process of learning how to um, how to train a horse to lead change. Yes. Right. And then I got to the point where it was like, now I need a really nice lead change, not just, you know, the out he got from one lead to That's the other. That's right. right. Easy. And as I started getting further and further into that, I started to realize that, you know, the when I made the lead change really, really difficult, you know, in my head. That, that was something that was major to, to accomplish. It was really hard to accomplish. Right. When I made it, you know, changing a counter canner into another counter canner lead yes. change, lead change counter canner to another, yes. like that is like <laughs> hard. Like I don't even know how you, you know, at that point in my training, I was like, how do you even do that? But you know what? If I could do that, the other one would be so easy, right? So it's like, that's man, right. I, I want to, and that was thinking outside of the box. That yeah. was not just, I need to train what's needed and what's yes. required, but I want to go to the other level. Right. And if I can get that, then the lead change is just nothing. That's, That's right. the simplest part of it. Yeah. If it's not just a little bit and, and, and that takes, that takes push, that takes persistence. That takes, you know, all those things. And sometimes you push too far, but what do you do when you push too far? Well, you know how to back off. That's when you start to mature is when you know when to back off. You know, you realize those those parts. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, that's just and 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 I think thinking outside the box whenever you're doing you have that, to. that's the that's the innovator. That's the guy that next moves it up. And it's almost I have to. You have to have that resistance. To you do. do. That. And that's what that guy was. Exactly. Was he needed? You needed his resistance. Exactly. To push you. That's exactly. If it's easy. It's just it's easy. Every day. Every morning. I prepare myself for the unexpected. I don't know if you've heard anything like this. I read something positive every morning because you and I know what our responsibilities every day is. What throws people off is the unexpected. Mm. That's my challenge. Is saying, how are you going to handle this? Of course, my first thoughts are like most people. Oh, crap. Why is this happening to me? Mm. But my second thought clicks in right away. What are you supposed to learn from this? Yeah. How are you going to deal with this? How are you going to handle I get excited. I'm telling you, I get excited. I'm so stick. I get excited because I'm prepared for, <clears throat> I don't like routine. Yeah. I need to challenge every day and probably this way till the day I die. Somewhere in my mind, I got to think, okay, I'm going to handle this because life is just a journey. It is. And once you feel like you've completed, you do what you're doing. You're sharing it 
with your offspring so they can have their journey with the foundation that's going to be available for them to make good decisions. So you think that transition period where you're going from, you know, like what I'm going to reach, what I'm going to do and everything else, and then finding how I'm going to apply that in the rest of my life, like Mm -hmm. that's that midlife crisis. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. I've done all this. Now Now you realize you're applying it now, but you're applying it. (laughs) And then, you know, so now what do I do with it? Yeah, so it's really well. One of the things about Job and Solomon, and of course, uh, Job was tested. Yeah. Okay. And God said, "Just don't kill him," because He believed the testimony. But him and Solomon that had the wealth, and all Solomon wanted was with knowledge. That's all. Solomon was with knowledge, but God gave him abundance to the wealth. But the end of their journey. They're saying all these other things I hear are meaningless. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, Ecclesiastes. Exactly. With it. Everything yeah. is meaningless if you never loved and shared yeah. what you would learn. It's nothing new under the sun. Is that not incredible? That's it. That's that, it. that it's not. Nothing's new under the sun. So that's what I do with the kids when I drove the bus, and that's what I do with the adults that I drive every day. And I feel so fulfilled in the evening when I come home. I gave part of my journey and my knowledge, my wisdom about life that I got to experience. Yeah. That's why I say everything I ever wanted as a kid, I've gotten it. The only thing I missed is I wish my mother was still alive. Because we had a little A-frame house when I was growing up. A little bathroom. It is sitting a third of my house today. And I was thinking, if only my mother could be here to see it. Mm-hmm. That's what I think about daily. That she yeah. wouldn't have to worry. Yeah. It, that's pretty profound too, right? That, mm-hmm. um, like being able to share that with, you know, share what your knowledge and where you're at and, and the joy that... Exactly. It, it's not even probably more so than, you know, that, how, how big of a house or whatever. Right. But just... That, but think about the journey. The journey and the joy that for you've come. Yeah, exactly. Right? That you're becoming, that you're, be, that you are, that you're um, continuing to grow, right? Every and day. Sharing in it. And I think that's some, I think, I think that's a big part of what, why I like doing Exactly. It, right? Is it's just, it gets to, like this part of me getting to share part you know, right. of that journey. The, um, and that's why I'm excited about going to the maturity this year, right? Right. Because I like I'm gonna load all my kids up. And we're all gonna go and we're all gonna have fun. And I don't know, it's gonna be really a pleasant thing for them because I think I'm in such a different mindset now. You are. If they had gone with me when I was in my, you know, thirties and forties, it would have been probably like traumatic. <laughs> Just because well, because of you <laughs> yeah, because you was trying to find yourself. Yeah, yeah, and now yeah. you kind of at peace with that. Yeah, yeah. And realize you have the tools to be here enough and confidence yeah. that you these values have worked for you back then, they can work for them. Mm-hmm. So and offer it. That's what you're doing. And the crazy part is how that has come out in my writing. Yes. Right? Yes. That that where what I had worked so hard and was found so difficult, like it's so much easier now because not because I didn't have the ability then or that, uh, that I, I've gotten to a higher degree now necessarily. Yeah. It's that I'm not, I'm not resisting it so much. Exactly. Right. 
It's called, it's almost like it's effortless because you have done it so much. It's routine and instinctively. It's like when we got played ball and you got hit and on film and looking at the arena, look like that guy is not going to get up. But instinctively, he used to get them going back to home. Sometimes we didn't know that we had pain until after the game. And the next day, we're like, oh, God, did I get hit there? I don't remember getting it. Because it became routine. Yeah. You didn't let that. And sometimes you use a lot of psychology because everybody was great athletes. Mm-hmm. And a guy put a good lick on you. He's looking at you in your eyes. See, and I'm like, man, yeah, up. man, you just hurt me. You know that? You hit pretty hard. And I want to get his mind off the game. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, God, yeah, man. I, my mama was looking at this game. She probably, you know, shooting you. <laughs> I was safe. <laughs> but I had to come back at him, even yeah. though I might be feeling the pain. Yeah. You well, can't give in to it. It's almost like uh, in in the guy that is the one pursuing the greatness or just has that determination. I, I watch, I love watching um, a lot of the UFC and a lot of fights and stuff. Oh, yeah. I love jiu-jitsu and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And, and one thing that I find so uh, intriguing, right, is when you see a guy like you know that he got thumped like that's that right. one it was that was a that rocks right. right there what did they what does that guy do that got rocked smiles that's right <laughs> I mean, it's almost essential you almost know that when i got him because that's exactly that's exactly like, right ah, bring that one again that's exactly right but is that that's the that's the mindset of the guy that's pursuing the the, the greater part or the the you know doing more or better, right? Yeah, that, exactly. That bring that. And you got to, and you know, I had to analyze also when I got in the NFL, who are the greatest at that time defensive ball players that I can, that has the reputation, that's all pro, everybody respected. Mm-hmm. And it was two guys that I single out. One of them played for the Dallas Cowboys at the time, and his name was Mel Renfro, great defensive back. Pump returner, speed, quickness, about the same size. Other one was named Willie Brown from Oakland. Destroyed receivers. I mean, he was that good. I watched them. I had to realize I had four things I had to put up against them. They didn't know I was studying. I studied them for a whole year before I ever competed with them. Yeah. And every time uh, when I finally met with them, I walked to them before the game started and said, Sir, I'm so excited to be playing against you today. I've been studying for a whole year. You only watch me for one week. It's going to be a good game. I realized that I had four things I'm going to run up against them. I'm not sure them. my quickness coming off the line. <clears throat> Back in the other day, they played man on man. The guy standing in front of me like you're sitting now. Mm-hmm. If he trips and falls, he's done. So every receiver, a little bit smaller than he was, would try to come off the line and maneuver around it. Why not come right at you? Show you just I'm just as strong as you are. Use my forearm and just push you out the way. That's the first thing. Second one is then I'm gonna come up and I'm up. I am gonna maneuver around you. Show you how quick I am. Second, I'm gonna show you my speed. The fourth, which was most important in all of those, I made myself believe I'm smarter than you. So something got to work. And I would do that, everybody and everybody else. They were a piece of cake because you got to remember, I was trained every day against my opponent for my teammate yeah. that prepared me for these guys on Sunday was almost a piece of cake. So did so so that so your Super Bowl win was against the Cowboys. Yeah, against the Cowboys. 
And so you that's who you lined up against mm-hmm. in that game. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Go Time Podcast with Todd Martin and Brendan O'Reilly. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Go Time Ranch so you can come work with us each day to learn, have fun, and be inspired. For information on bookings and merchandise, please visit www.gotimeranch.com. <laughs>